Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 49, the Shandon Anderson episode, as Shandon wore number 49 for the final five seasons of his 10 year career. And ironically, he came off the bench for the 2006 champion, Miami Heat, a team that's once again in the finals, and as we'll be discussing here shortly. But before we do, just a quick reminder that Bet Online is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs. Bet Online is your sports intel headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, golf to UFC and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get in on the action today. So head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And tonight we're going to start with World B for our opening tip. Thank you, Ross. Painful as it is for this Knicks fan to say, upon thinking it over, I'm hard to come up with five people in the history of this league that have had a greater career as a player, coach, and executive than Pat Riley. This is not to say that Pat Riley was a Hall of Fame player, far from it. However, he was a member of the greatest team, one of the greatest teams in NBA history, the 1971-72 Lakers squad that won 69 games, including 33 in a row, which is still an NBA record. As a coach, he won his first title as an assistant for the Lakers in 1980, and then as a head coach, he ended up winning five titles, four with the Lakers and one again with Miami in 2006. In the front office, he built the Miami Heat into a powerhouse franchise not once, but twice. Along with the 2006 title, Riley was the architect behind the Miami teams that went back-to-back in 2012 and 2013. In all, this is the 19th time Riley has reached the NBA Finals as either a player, coach, or executive. Although that's not close to the record, Jerry was the uh, logo and the alum of WVU. uh, had 30. He was involved in 30 NBA Finals. But Riley's had a role in over a third of the 56 NBA finals that have been played since he came into the league as a player in 1967. Riley will obviously never go down as the greatest player and as great a coach as he was, there are others who have more rings. And he probably will never reach the level of excellence as an executive as someone, say, like Jerry West uh, achieved. But if you put all three careers together, there may be no better one who has done it in this league like Pat Riley. Well said there will be. And yeah, I think his resume is tough to top as far as the accolades are concerned and uh, glad you brought attention uh, to that here tonight. Bruce, what do you got for us? Before I start, I just want to say I have Riley as my third greatest NBA coach ever after Red Auerbach and or actually fourth best Red Auerbach, Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich, Riles, and then I have Steve Kerr at number five. At any rate, my opening comment, speaking of the Boston Celtics, although they bowed out of the playoffs on Monday night, I wanted to say a few words about them before we move on for the summer. While it's true that they made the 
final four in the NBA, and the 26 other teams would be glad to have done as well, many Celtics fans are feeling unsatisfied with the results of the season. I really thought they had a team that could win it all, but it turned out that it takes more than sheer talent to win a championship. It takes a team that plays smart, plays connected, shows mental toughness, and is consistent. The Celtics demonstrated some of those traits at various times along the way, but they failed to put them all together when it mattered most. Some fans are going to say that Jason Tatum's injury in the first minute of Game 7 against Miami was a huge factor in their loss, and yeah, there's little question that it was. However, the truth is that Boston lost the series well before Game 7 when they played some of their worst basketball of the season in Games 2 and 3. There could be some big changes coming over the next four months, including the possibility that Jalen Brown might be traded. And if they can improve the team by dealing Brown, they should do it. But they should not deal Brown unless they can make the right deal. They still have a pretty young core, and while some tweaks are going to be needed, they're a team with huge upside, and if your team president, Brad Stevens, there's no need to overreact or panic. The future is still bright in Boston. It absolutely is, and it should be a fun summer for all Celtics fans to keep in a, a track on what goes down because there are some big decisions that are looming. So well said there, Bruce. As for my opening tip, all signs are pointing to the former number three overall pick, Mike Dunleavy, being the favorite to land the Golden State Warriors general manager position after serving the past four years as Bob Myers' assistant. Both a former player and son to a former player and coach, and Mike Dunleavy Sr., I think Mike Dunleavy, Mike Dunleavy Jr. would be a really interesting hire. I was fortunate enough to have worked with Mike when he was playing for the Bucks, and uh, I will certainly be rooting for him if he does get the job, and I'd like to see him succeed. Um, but before he's able to do all that, he's got a very difficult task that lies ahead. Shaking up a prominent core without shaking up the locker room chemistry can be easier said than done these days. And, of course, the more obvious start to the task would be to part ways with either Draymond Green or Jordan Poole, or maybe even both of them. But given the Warriors' salary cap and roster situation, it's going to be extremely challenging for the Warriors to receive quality players in return in a package. For the Warriors fans, I'd be hopeful Dunleavy's high basketball IQ, along with working alongside Steve Kerr, can work wonders getting back to being creative with finding players that fit within their system. I felt like Golden State shied away from that a bit this year, and we saw that cost him. So um, if Mike Dunleavy gets the job, I certainly will be in full support of that. Um, but it will be, much like Boston, a very interesting summer, to say the least. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and get to our first quarter here as we are going to uh, provide our recap and reactions to the NBA Finals Game 1 between the Denver Nuggets and Miami Heat as the Nuggets uh, took the victory 104-93. Bruce, I'm going to start with you and kind of get your just immediate reactions following the final horn. Thanks, Ross. You know, I just want to make one little sort of trivia point before we start. Now that the Nuggets are in the finals, all four of the ABA teams that came into the NBA for the 76-77 season have now made it to the NBA finals. The Spurs oh, wow. got there first in 99. The Pacers got there the next year in 2000. And the Nets got there twice, actually, in 02 and 03. So now the Nuggets have finally, uh, you know, they're finally made men as far as ABA teams uh, getting to the finals <laughs> in the NBA. And based on what we saw in game one, uh, they're probably going to become uh, the second <laughs> to actually win a championship 
if things go the way we've seen so far. The initial thoughts that I have on this game were Aaron Gordon just busted out of the gate for those guys, getting a lot of points early, going up against smaller defenders. Jokic had six assists in the first quarter, just orchestrating the offense, as always, letting the game come to him. Jamal Murray did his thing. And the guys who absolutely crushed the Celtics, like Caleb Martin, uh, he couldn't miss against Boston. He shot one for seven. Uh, Max Struess shot 0 for 10. Uh, and uh, Duncan Robinson shot one for five. So those three guys shot two for 22 against Denver. And uh, that just absolutely crushed him. Bam Adebayo had a really nice game for them. Jimmy Butler was basically invisible for the most part. And again, that's Aaron Gordon having him a lot of the times too. So Aaron Gordon with a great game at both ends of the court. So uh, obviously Jokic, the big star, Murray's getting a lot of shine. But to me, Aaron Gordon was a huge key in game one. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there, Bruce. I think Aaron Gordon was a big difference maker. Just that size, as you mentioned there, it's going to be a problem for the Miami Heat, and they're going to definitely have to try to work things out here quickly before game two. World B, what do you have uh, in store as far as uh, what you saw in tonight's game? Uh, I was disappointed in uh, Miami's energy, uh, their aggressiveness. That was the big MO for them throughout this postseason. Well, I've commented, we've talked about it, uh, throughout the postseason, how they seem to have more energy than the Bucks, how they play with more energy than the pace, uh, Knicks, and then against the Celtics. They just they had more energy. They were up and they were scrappy. They were all over the place. And I didn't get that aggressiveness in this game. Uh, you know, only two free throws for the entire game, an NBA playoff low, as it turned out. That's just hard to fathom from any team, but tr- particularly a team like this that likes to mix it up, likes to get you know, fouls called. Clearly, the officials let him play for the most part tonight or, or Thursday night, excuse me. And yeah, the, the as you mentioned, the guys who need this that stepped up in this uh, postseason for Miami, the guys like Caleb Martin, Max Struess, and uh, Duncan Robinson, those three guys. I mean, how how are you going to win when those three guys are? Let's see, one for 11, one for 11, two for 11, two for 16 from three between those three players. I mean, you can't win uh, when you need those guys to produce at least a little bit, and that's the best you got. Now, Jimmy Butler played a, just a down game. It was not a not a good game from start to finish. Um, so the one good thing about it from Miami's end is they came back from way down, like we've seen them do throughout this postseason, got down to nine. You never really thought, I never really thought that they were all the way back just because they couldn't get enough stops at the other end. They you, Denver really shot like garbage in the fourth quarter. We've seen this before from Denver too, by the way. They, they really had a bad fourth quarter in that clincher against uh, the Lakers. It didn't cost them, obviously, but they really struggled down. And Joker had some trouble in the fourth quarter of that series throughout. And tonight they didn't, they, they were 0 for 8 from 3 in the fourth quarter, opening the door for Miami. They just, when you get down that big, you just have to make shots and, and stop the other team from making shots. They just didn't have enough in the tank at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that energy or the lack thereof from the Miami Heat. And then, of course, uh, the refs letting them play. Because if you look at the box score here, it's quite clear that's exactly when, uh, what took place here tonight. I mean, Miami, no starter even attempted a free throw. They only actually made one trip to the foul line, and that came from Hayward Highsmith, who had another big game 
a lot of it coming in that second half when the game was kind of in control with Denver. Uh, but two free throws for an entire game, one trip to the foul line for the Miami Heat, that certainly needs to change. Uh, and, and that starts with being aggressive. I mean, with Jimmy Butler having an off night, 6-14 of 14 from the field, you would think he would initiate a little bit more contact trying to go downhill to draw some fouls, especially when you talk about a uh, Nuggets team that has a center like Joker, who's not even like a shot blocker. Yeah, he plays decent defense, and they got shot blockers around him with the size of Porter and uh, Aaron Gordon, but uh, not enough aggressiveness, too much settling from the outside. And, uh, of course, as you mentioned, Struss 0 for 9, and the Duncan Robinson I, I 1 for 5. They're just not going to get it done uh, from those two shooters from the outside if you've got nothing going inside. So um, I thought I thought Denver did a great job uh, – coming out of the gates with a ton of energy. All my worries about maybe of them being rusty wasn't there tonight. They just had complete control of the game. And I think moving forward, one of the biggest things outside of the home court advantage that Denver does hold playing in Denver is the fact that they have the premier quarterback on their team in the Joker. And uh, I was just so thrilled as a fan of the game that wants to spread this great game to the world that the people that haven't got a, gotten a chance to watch the Joker play yet got to see him tonight and now it's starting to make sense just how special this guy is Bruce yeah uh I mean look when you talk about the lack of energy on Miami's part you know it could be that they were gassed after seven games against Boston combined with the fact that you know we talk about the altitude all the time right that has a way of making teams look kind of fatigued and so if you want to kind of piggyback the altitude issue on the back of a seven-game series where they pretty much had to go hard for seven, um, that might uh, that might explain it. But here's the thing. You know, the two times that I thought Miami might, you know, get things going, right after halftime, they started the third quarter with a 7 nothing run, okay? And then they started the fourth quarter with an 11 nothing run, okay? But in both of those quarters... Denver was just super patient once they had to realize they had to stop that run. They got they 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 ran their offense on one of them with about, you know, a half a second left on the 24 second clock. Joker calmly found somebody underneath. I think it was either Michael Porter or Gordon. I can't remember which guy it was. But again, it was like no panic. His his classic style of play is you cannot speed him up. He plays the game at his own pace. He knew he had a second, and it only took him a half a second to get the ball in there, right? And that's just, you know, you cannot teach that. That's something that you're just no. kind of, you know, you you just have the whatever you want to call it, the hoop IQ, the, the internal clock, instincts. whatever you want to call it, the instincts. Exactly. That's exactly the right word. So, uh, yes, um, you know. A ho-hum triple-double for Joker. He had 10 assists in the first half, okay? He totally let the game come to him. He was more than happy to facilitate. And, you know, how many guys – I mean, there's only one. There's only one like that. He's the only one. He he truly is one of a kind. Yep. So uh, should be interesting to see, you know, what kind of adjustments the the Miami Heat make. One other point I wanted to make is – you know, off that Denver bench tonight, a lot of credit needs to go to Bruce Brown. He played great two-way basketball for the Nuggets here tonight. In 20 minutes, had 10 points, two or three from three. Hit a big three there later on in the game when uh, 
Miami was going on a run, forced them to call a timeout to kind of regroup after that. So, uh, again, I'll re- I'll reiterate what our friend Dave Wool said. You know, it, it's certainly looking like it's just Denver's year. I mean, I, obviously, it's just one game. They they still have to go to Miami, and, and there's still a game two to be had. But uh, nothing in this game made me think that the Miami Heat can pull this off. Uh, did anything uh, intrigue you guys at all? Uh, for me, well, yeah, I I uh, I think it was uh, a couple of positives for Miami. They held Denver to 104 points on their home court. This is the hot, most efficient team in the playoffs offensively. They only allowed 104 points, so they got that for, going for them. They shot horribly, which we hadn't seen with the Knicks series. They shot horribly too, and they made up for it. Uh, but they shot really well against the Bucs. They shot really well against uh, Boston. So let's see if, if this is just an aberration for Miami shooting the ball or do they have uh, – they're going to get – you know, this is the way it's going to be. Or this is this was regular season Miami is what we saw tonight, uh, Monday night – or Thursday night, excuse me. Uh, Denver only had eight fouls in the game. And I'm not blaming the officials at all, although I saw some push-offs that Denver was allowed to get away with, but somehow Duncan Robinson was not. I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. But they only committed eight fouls, but that was mostly because if you look at Miami shot horribly from three-point range until the fourth quarter, and they only had 38 points in the paint. So they weren't they weren't doing it well outside. They weren't taking it inside, and that, that has to be uh, a situation that has to change for Miami. I'll mention one more thing about Denver. And Bruce brought it up with uh, Joker in the middle. In the fourth quarter, Miami basically went strictly zone to try and mix it up and try something to work out. And it did work out for a while. But what happened was it was an easy feed to Joker, and he was able to find the open man constantly. It reminded me of the Olympic team in 2008 when the Olympics team, the redeem team, if you will, uh, the opponents would go zone on them. And all Coach K would do is put LeBron in the middle, feed it to LeBron, and now I got my best passer to f- figure it out. This is exactly what happened tonight. And it was really – it was just a matter of them making enough shots to hold off Miami at the end. Is is Jokic is – Jok- can Jokic be fairly described as a point center? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, the guy almost averaged a triple-double this year and probably would have – if he just tried to pad a few more games, but yeah, I think this, I think this series just goes down to uh, the one team, of course, having the uh, premier of all premier quarterbacks. I mean, he's going to let the Miami heat defense as uh world B just described kind of pick their poison and he's going to, he's going to take what you give him, and whatever route you take, he's going to still kill you. I mean, he's just that good of, of a ball player. And uh, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch even Late in this game, the touch pass down low to Aaron Gordon where they had to foul to break up that dunk. I mean, just uh, from start to finish, the Joker was locked in. And as he's been doing all year after, you know, big games, clinching series, you know, he's pointing up to the crowd to his daughter and showing the ring finger as he's, uh, you know, he's locked in, ready to try to win this first ring. And uh, I I really look forward to see what Jimmy Butler can do because – you know, if we're going to talk about uh, game two adjustments, it starts and ends with Jimmy Butler. You know, he's got to be the leader. He's got to put these guys on his back. 
and he's got to lead by example. And unfortunately, in this case, just due to the circumstances of this team, part of leading by example is uh, performing by example offensively. So there is a lot of pressure for him to deliver, and he's got to bring it in game two for them to have a chance. So are we now in the second quarter? Are we ready to talk adjustments here? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk adjustments here for the, for our second quarter. Thanks for the reminder there, Bruce. Number one is what you just said. Jimmy Butler has got to figure out a way to get to the foul line because Jimmy yep. Butler piles up his big scoring games when he gets to the free throw line. Uh, and again, generally, and again, I know Reggie Miller said it a few games ago and I kind of made fun of him because it didn't really apply on that particular point when he mentioned it. But if he gets to the foul line, you know, five times, 10 free throw attempts, whatever, that does two things. Number one, it's easy buckets. But number two, and again, this is, a, I think, gonna as the series goes on, it's going to be a big thing. Miami needs to be able to put points on the board with the clock not running because they need to catch their breath. It's as simple as that. Yep. I mean, they need a little bit of a rest. Not going to the free throw line tonight meant, you know, that game ended pretty quickly. I don't know what the actual time of the game was. It was probably somewhere around 2.20, which is a good 10 minutes or so less than most games go. And I, and you can pretty much attribute that to the fact that there weren't all these stoppages while people went to the free throw line. So number one adjustment, Jim, Jimmy's got to get his swag on, get his butt, go into the hoop, use those head fakes that work so well, get Aaron Gordon off his feet and put some points on the board with the clock not moving. There's some other stuff, but you're right, Ross, that is number one. And uh, we'll be, what do you have for a big adjustment uh, that the Miami Heat need to make in game two? Uh, I think it's outside of Jimmy Butler and getting to the free throw line, like Bruce mentioned. You, you get outscored by 14 at the free throw line, you're you're not going to win games in this series. Uh, they got to figure out defensively what they want to do as far as uh, manning up with these guys. The zone worked in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, can that work for a whole game? And at the end of the day, the role players have to play better. I mean, there's just no other way around it. Caleb Martin has to play better. Uh, Max Strauss has to play better. Duncan Robinson has to play better. There's just you know, Jimmy Butler's a given. If he doesn't play, if he if this is what we're going to get from Jimmy Butler, the series will not last a whole lot longer. It's, that's as that's simple. We'll assume that Jimmy Butler's going to pick up his game at some point in the series. It's up to these other guys to really get it going. Kyle Lowry had a a good fourth quarter, eighteen in the game, so he really uh, or eleven, excuse me, eleven in the game. So he really got it going in the fourth quarter and you know hit a couple of threes to bring him back. And Gabe Vincent played a really good game, I thought. And at the end of the day, th those three guys that we talked about did so well against Boston have to get it together. And uh, like I said before, 104 points to hold Denver to on their on their home court is uh, pretty pretty impressive. Well, world, um, I'm going to. Uh kind of pick up the ball here right now and uh, and discuss the fact that, you know, if Struess and Robinson and um, Caleb Martin are going to play and shoot as poorly as they did on, um, on Thursday night, I would not at all be surprised if we see, if we don't see um, uh, Tyler Hero come off the bench in game two. He has been cleared to play. I think that they were probably reluctant to put him back in um, until they needed him, right. okay? Um, 
But I think, you know, again, if those guys are going to play as poorly as they did, I think Spo is probably going to say, you know what? We need to we need to get uh, Tyler Hero off the bench. And uh, yeah, that's and not looking. Go, go, that's, go ahead, world. Go ahead, world. I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that doesn't look like such such a controversial move now. Whether or not to bring him back. Remember, before the series, there was some question whether it was worth bringing him back because how effective is he going to be? He's missed so much time. I think it was what April 16th or something, or April 6th when he got hurt. April 16th, I believe, is when it happened. And so he missed all this time. How effective will he be? Well, it's, it's, you're going to get the way these other guys are playing. You need him back. So I, I absolutely think he'll see some time. I'm surprised Kevin Love has not seen time on the court, uh, not just in game one here, but in the end of the Celtics series. I really, I don't understand. He was starting for them. He was part of the starting lineup. Now he was only playing about 13 minutes. So I get that. He wasn't really a, a big time starter minutes. But he was a body there. I know they go, they get small when he's on the court when you're trying to defend uh, Joker and everything else. Uh, it, I mean, Cody Zeller did not uh, do a whole lot in there in his minutes. He's, he looked like a waste of time in seven and a half minutes. Are you trying to tell me that Kevin Love in seven and a half minutes can't, uh, you know, can't possibly get them uh, – more production than Cody Zeller gave them. Plus it's more fouls. Plus it's, you know, they're going to have to come up with something. Spolstra is, you know, we talked about how great a coach is. We put him in the all-time grades. Well, now, now he's going to be tested. Let's see just what he can do. And, you know, he, he's done a really good job in his postseason making adjustments. So I'm, I'm fine with him. I'm not bailing on the series after one game. This is not a best of one series. So I uh, I think we'll see uh, a different Miami team in game two. I mean, if they don't shoot well, it, it will be a four-game sweep. But I suspect they will be shooting better, Bruce. Yeah, and, you know, a- another thing, you know, another adjustment they have to make, I believe, is, you know, Jamal Murray basically just like, you know, he, he, he had another excellent game. You know, because of the quick start that Aaron Gordon had, you know, you almost didn't even notice how well Jamal Murray was playing until we got kind of close to halftime. Then all of a sudden you look down on your phone or whatever. And it's like, geez, he's five out of six from the floor. So Miami's going to have to figure out some way. I mean, right. You know, on, on Thursday night, Denver had so many weapons that were working for him. And, you know, you, you know, and Murray just absolutely torched him, uh, Ross. I know, uh, you know, you've been, you know, impressed with Murray throughout the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Murray uh, came out and did a great job kind of having a well-balanced diet on the offensive end. I mean, he really got his shot working, then created for others. And, you know, just much like Joker, he, he took what the defense gave him, right? I mean, there were at times where they tried to uh, – show him two bodies. And then at that point he would distribute the basketball and get others involved. And then in other cases, you know, when he had the space, he took advantage of that, whether it was off the dribble or obviously just using his lethal weapon from the outside. So Jamal Murray has been fabulous uh, throughout the playoffs. Obviously one of the the better players, uh, if we were to rank all the top performers uh, in the NBA playoffs this season, and he's been a huge piece to this, uh, uh, Denver Nuggets success, and uh, they're going to need more of that from him uh, to go ahead and uh, 
you know, take the pressure off the Joker to, to go ahead and, you know, create everything. So he, he, he provides a ton of relief for, for uh, Nikola Jokic. And uh, that, that's a big thing for them to have there. So uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer here, fellas. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come back with everybody for the second half. And we're back with the start of our third quarter. So let's go ahead and get into some news around the association since uh, last time recorded on Monday night. Uh, a lot has taken place here. And let's start out with the big money news with Monty Williams agreeing to a six-year, $78.5 million deal to become the head coach of the Detroit Pistons. That deal could actually reach eight years with up to $100 million in incentives. And uh, Bruce, I'll start with you there. When you saw that uh, come, come strolling through your timeline on Twitter, did your eyes almost pop out of their socket? You know, the first thing I thought of is like, you got to pay somebody a shitload of money to get them to move from Phoenix to Detroit. That <laughs> Because, you know, I, I've been to both places. You could pay me less to work in Phoenix than you'd have to pay me to work in Detroit. Sorry, Detroit. Don't mean to diss you. But actually, I think it's a great situation for Monty. Number one, I mean, lifetime financial security. But number two, they got a lot of young talent on their team, right? They got yep. Cade Cunningham. They got Chade Nyby. They got Jalen Duran. They've got Boyan Bogdanovich, a veteran guy who, who's a good bucket getter. And they have the number five pick in the draft this year, which I know is disappointing considering they tied or had the worst record in the league this year. But still at all, He's walking into a situation where he's got security, right? So it's not like if they yep. don't make the playoffs in his first year that he has to worry about his job. He probably doesn't have to worry about his job at all. And if they if they make progress and, you know, say double their win total from what do they have, like 16 or 17 this year, they can get it up to like 30, 35. He's going to be a hero as those guys all grow. So, yes, uh, way to uh, – Back the Brinks truck up uh, for Monty. I think it's going to be look like a pretty good investment for the Pistons. World B. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, we we uh, lately have gotten associated Monty with uh, coaching the veteran group in Phoenix and Chris Paul, and then later Kevin Love and uh, Devin Booker, whatever. He did have a, a young roster at times when he was with the Hornets. Uh, Chris Paul was a you know just 25 when he took over there, and and they had 20 Trevor Reza, who was a big factor early on, who was only about 25 or 26. So he's had a young roster to work with before, but not this young though. <laughs> he's got this is this is really pushing it. I mean, 40 percent of Detroit's minutes this past season went to rookies or second year players. So they are definitely going young, rebuilding with their young group. And Kay Cunningham was hurt for both. It would have been even greater if Cunningham hadn't been injured and missed so much time. So, you know, you expect that to get more. And it's a great situation for him and for uh, for Detroit, excuse me, because now Monty Williams is in charge. Monty Williams' contract is bigger than any player's contract, greater total value than any player's contract they have, which is, uh, you know, if you like Bruce said, if, if I'm going to coach this team, you've got to pay me. So that's how it is. I mean, the city aside, if I'm going to coach the Pistons, I need to be paid. And Detroit recognized that. If, if Detroit probably said, if I'm going to pay somebody, I'm going to pay for the best coach available that coach this team. 
and I'm a, I'm a big Monty Williams fan, so I think this is a great move for them. Uh, they're gonna he's gonna have to figure out a way to teach them to shoot though and be more efficient. They were bottom five in offensive and defensive efficiency this past season, and bottom five in uh, effective field goal percentage. So he better teach him how to shoot if he wants to get better. Ross, you got some insight. Yeah, no doubt about this, that, don't you, man? You got some. What do you, what yeah, you got, I got Russ, some, Ross? You're a Phoenix dude, man. I got some. I got some good uh, tidbits here on this whole situation that went down here. So it's important for all NBA fans to keep in mind here that Monty Williams had 20 million left on his son's deal that he was guaranteed. So pretty much could have just sat at home, been with his family, and co- collected mailbox money for the next couple of years. So. <laughs> The real reason he now becomes the highest paid head coach is due to Detroit having to take into account that money from Phoenix that he was going to be losing. And so smart move by Monty and his agent to go ahead and demand it. Uh, You know, it's like, if you really want me this bad, I want that 20 million. I'm going to lose by accepting this job. So let's all keep that in mind, because now when we put it into perspective, he's the highest paid coach. Yes. But given the circumstances, you'll see, you know, it makes a little bit more sense. Secondly, this one's pretty ironic. The advertising patch that the Pistons wear on their jerseys uh, is actually a company that Matt Ishbia owns, the Suns owner that allowed him to walk. So I thought that was a little fun. The fact that you know he is he is away from the Sun, but the jersey patch still connected to Matt Ishbia in some sort. And then uh, as for Suns fans, I mean this as much as you know this is a little disappointing. A lot of Suns fans will miss Monty. Uh, this mega deal for Monty puts a little bit more pressure on the Suns front office to go ahead and deliver a quality head coach. I mean, obviously, this news coming out of Detroit is making shockwaves around the league. And it's now like, all right, Suns, what are you going to do? So the fans are putting the pressure on, on, on the Suns organization to make sure that, you know, they don't regret this decision to let him walk. And with that $20 million now gone, because he did take another job, Matt Ishbia has an additional $20 million to work with. So very curious to see how Matt Ishbia ends up, what he ends up doing with that $20 million, because he's certainly going to do something. That was already a sunk cost to him. He's already went ahead and made this major deal for Kevin Durant. I mean, this guy is serious about competing right now, and now he's got an extra $20 million to hand out. Will that go to a coach like a Doc Rivers, or will he sign an assistant like Kevin Young and maybe utilize that money for an executive in the front office or maybe uh, go over the luxury tax? We'll have to see, but I think it's kind of interesting that as much as it is a disappointment for Suns fans to see Monty move on, you know, Ishbia has another $20 million to work with. So just wanted to be sure we didn't lose sight of all that on Phoenix's end. Now, another was, uh, big part was, of news here. No, I was just going to say, what a boss move by Monty Williams and his agent. I didn't know that. That is – Yeah. That's that's respect, man. But And as for Phoenix, yeah. I mean, is Mike D'Antoni still live in the area? I mean, I think he's still trying <laughs> yeah. to get back in. Yeah. A little running gun there with D-Book and uh, KD <laughs> probably hurt. Um, but, yeah, Suns have some interesting uh, decisions to make with who is going to take over from Monty. Now, the second piece of business here uh, for the third quarter is uh, World Beast guy, Joe Missoula. As all reports seem to point to World Beast thoughts being correct and that Missoula will be back. And, uh, World B, let's let's get your reaction for that. 
Well, I mentioned it the other night, uh, the other episode. I it's not a surprise based on how they uh, reached, uh, how they came back in the conference finals that he was going to return. It makes a lot of sense. There's there's a lot of uh, not dysfunction, but there's a lot of potential turnover on that roster uh, coming up as we we've talked about the last few episodes. And the last thing you want to do is have a fourth coach in as many years taken over with a roster, uh, you know, basically uh, changed over potentially. So Brad Stevens believes in him. I think he always believed in him. Didn't listen to, you know, what everybody else was saying. So it's not a huge shock that he's returning. I'm glad he's back because I think he needs a full season to get a staff together uh, they've already talked about what we've talked about is bringing on an NBA veteran coach to help him on the sidelines and walk him through everything. And uh, I think it, I think it's a good move. I think he has more respect in the clubhouse and or in the locker room than uh, he was given credit for. Quite frankly, from what you read and everything, I think it's a it's a good move. And I they have a lot of things to deal with Boston in the offseason. A big decision. Well, one one really big decision, and I think uh, solidifying the coaching spot uh, makes it easier. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious he's coming back. Brad Stevens said as much on uh, Thursday. And, yeah, I mean, now they're going to help him build a coaching staff that he wants as opposed to one that he sort of, like, inherited on the fly and really couldn't do anything about. And as you correctly mentioned, the key is going to be some some old heads that they can maybe find to join that staff uh, as the number one assistant. I mean, I've mentioned names like Nate McMillan and Terry Stotts. Both of those guys are in their 60s. Not exactly hot names in the coaching commodities market these days, but perhaps guys that still want to be in the game and are willing to work with a a young coach who graduated, I believe, from West Virginia University. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, World B. Uh, yeah, you, and, you got that right. You're on, okay. you're on the money there. Uh, but if somebody, let's say, you know, let's say somebody like Frank Vogel doesn't get a job or Dave Yeager, who was an assistant in Philadelphia, former Memphis coach, either of those two guys would probably do well in that role. And if they were, you know, loyal guys, whatever, maybe they do that and move on, give give Joe a year of, you know, their shoulder to lean on, whatever you want to call it, and move on. Or... If something happens, you just never know these days why coaches sometimes have to leave. Now you've got somebody ready to step right in that would be sort of in uh, in the prime of their coaching years. But again, those are only going to work if nobody else is interested in them and they want to stay in the game and work with a young coach and also possibly get a ring, you know, if they do a good enough job. Yeah, and I'll say this on uh, the Missoula news. I think it's credit to the Celtics for going ahead and already announcing he'll be back. They've got enough buzz going around Jalen Brown. They don't need two different stories coming from the head coach to one of the star players. So they put one to bed, and now they got to worry about the the big money one that could be upwards to almost $300 million for, for Jalen Brown, which is a lot of coin there. But uh, last one we have here on the docket tonight is Eric Lewis, the NBA veteran official, was left off the official list to ref the finals. Uh, yeah, um, Lewis had been, had and been an official for the finals games and a 
Yeah, we're having a little trouble with Ross's mic there. Um, Lewis is considered to be one of the, you know, elite referees in the NBA. He's worked finals games. Um, but the league is very, very sensitive now about any improprieties involving game officials. Uh, and they have been since the Tim Donaghy scandal back in 2007. Uh, but and, and here's another added wrinkle, you know, now that gambling is legal, and the league has partnerships with DraftKings and FanDuel, it is incumbent for the NBA to be even more vigilant about who's out on the court blowing the whistle and what type of character uh, they have. Uh, because the worst thing the league could contend with at this point is, is facing charges that there's anything affecting the games that's less than 100% up and up, uh, World B. Yeah. And so they really do, I mean... This whole gambling thing puts stuff like this even into more stark relief. Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the league showcase event. This is their, for lack of a better phrase, their Super Bowl. All eyes are on on this finals. They're already going to take a hit. We we believe if you listen to what everybody thinks in the ratings department because of the matchup, and if the series doesn't improve anytime soon. It may not last very long, so they're going to take a ratings hit. They want to get as good of a showcase for the league as possible. The last thing you want to do is have this story become a a story at all. So it was a no-brainer that he would have to be left off this this, uh, list. This doesn't, obviously, as far as I could tell, this is just social media misbehavior, if you will. I can't think of a better phrase than that at the moment. I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with gambling, although your point, Bruce, is right about the Donahue situation, how that's put a microscope uh, on the league's integrity, quite frankly, for, uh, you know, you see it on social media all the time now, is that this this game is rigged, officials in, blah, blah, blah. And the, the, this is the league's showcase, like I mentioned. They don't need this story, so it was really a no-brainer. Yeah, and you know it's funny not not to change topics here, but uh, you know I guess Adam Silver came out. You know, speaking of not wanting to get in the middle of the finals with uh, negative stories, the whole John Morant situation—they're not going to do anything about that until the finals are over, for similar reasons. I mean, look, right. they don't want to do anything that's going to take the shine away from this matchup. It's already a matchup that the league probably wasn't hoping they were going to get when you had LA and Boston in the final four and you ended up with Denver and Miami. I think while they will never admit that, I think, you know, just the size of the markets and the history of those two teams would tell you that they would have preferred that matchup. Uh, And now with this whole John Moran thing, you know, the hammer's coming down, but they're not going to say anything about this world until uh, the uh, Larry O'Brien trophy is presented sometime within the next 17 days. Yeah, it's it, you know it's one of those things too where they don't even like the you know the the coaching news that came down that we discussed with Monty Williams. You know everybody likes Monty Williams; he's he's uh, terrific. But they don't even like news. They wanted to focus on the finals. They don't even like news to take away from from things like that from the finals. They, even positive as it may be, they would prefer everything be about the finals. Uh, so yeah. If they don't like the coaching changes moves, they certainly aren't going to like uh, any negativity like the John Moran situation, like the Eric Lewis investigation. 
So, yeah, th- like I said, getting back to Lewis, this was a, a no-brainer situation. Um, it may turn out to be – by the way, it may turn out to be nothing. You know, they're investigating. We're, you know, th- there is a innocent before guilty uh, concept that still exists in this country. So it may very well be that it's all BS anyway, but they don't want to address it. They don't want it to be a story. Any mention of it is makes it a story. So, um, yeah, like I said, th- it was a no-brainer. It ended, I believe, a long streak of his for play, for coaching or coaching for refereeing an NBA final. I think he'd been there for a number of years, so uh, this was uh, an obvious move. Yes. So, uh, Ross, uh, we were just kind of pointing out, in addition to the uh, to the fact that the whole referee situation with Derek Lewis, the league didn't want to call attention to it. We just kind of discussed the John Morant thing as well, yeah, uh, for those same reasons. Did, did you have any thoughts on the whole Derek Lewis situation uh, that you want to share with us before we move on to the fourth quarter? Uh, I, I would just say I think it's very wise for Adam Silver and the NBA to go ahead and leave him out of the equation for the finals. I mean, the last thing we need is any uh, conspiracy theories about whether or not he maybe would throw a game or in spite of comments that were exchanged in a, in a Reddit, you know, it's going to take it out on some fans of things. So, I think it's just best to leave him out. Let's avoid that distraction. And again, I'm glad you guys brought up the John Morant situation because I think it's a credit to the league office for deciding to uh, wait to hand out those consequences for Ja until after this final. So we're not talking about that at halftime. We're not talking about that with guys at the free throw line. And those are things that certainly would be mentioned. So kudos to the NBA league front office for, uh, eliminating all distractions so that we can enjoy this wonderful NBA finals. And uh, with that, let's get to our fourth quarter as uh, there was an exciting uh, story and interesting to say the least on the athletic involving Jeff Van Gundy, who had some ideas on how to shorten games, much like the MLB experimenting with things. And uh, boy, Bruce, I'm going to start with you since you were the one nice enough to share the article with everybody and bring it to our attention here. But I got to be honest, I thought it was wild. What do you think? Jeff Van Gundy did an interview with Richard Deitch of The Athletic where he threw out some bizarre ideas on how the league might go about shortening the games. Personally, I don't see the length of NBA games as a problem. I don't really see that the games really need to be shortened. You know, normal games that end in regulation usually go around two and a half hours, two hours and 30 minutes. That's shorter than the NFL. It's shorter than Major League Baseball, and it's about only 10 minutes longer than NHL games, which have, you know, 60 minutes of playing time versus 48. But the one that just left me sort of like thinking this dude is tripping is the idea of eliminating free throws until the final four minutes of a game. It's borderline insane. His suggestion is to just award two points to a player who's fouled in the act of shooting until four minutes are left in the fourth quarter. Hello? If fans are concerned about refs determining the outcomes of games now, this would make that issue far bigger than it has ever been. There's another one that we'll get to, but I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that particularly atrocious idea. Yeah, let's start with you, World. What do you think? Well, in that piece, he he says, "quote uh, He says, saying he said a free throw serves quote no rational, reasonable purpose." Well, that's just dumb. Yeah, that's just silly. I mean, that, let's just call it what it is. That's just dumb. Um, yeah, it, it's 
it goes against everything the league's trying to do. The league years ago decided to call the game tighter in an effort to create more scoring opportunities with free throws. The league, the league is much more efficient now than it's ever been in part because they, of the free throw, because you get, when you have a possession and you get free throw, the time goes off the clock. It's a point per possession. That's what efficiency is. You know, basically I've explained before. So if I get two free throws and I, that's a very efficient uh, possession for a team. Well, they're not getting away from that. That's, that's ridiculous. And I'm with Bruce. A game is two and a half hours. When did this start become a drag on people's viewing uh, idea or whatever you want to call it? It was fine. With, I've never had a problem. A game starts at 7. It's over by 9.30. Tonight's you know, game one on Thursday was over before uh, 11 o'clock Eastern. It started at 8.30, a little after 8.30. So this is not an issue. Um uh, I will say this before Bruce gets into the second part of his uh, – I had it in here, Bizarre as well, for the record. I wrote Bizarre on my little sheet <laughs> just like Bruce described it. You know, here's the thing. Jeff Van Gundy was an excellent coach, in my opinion, and he does a terrific job as an analyst in the, when it comes to just describing the game, the X's and O's of the game. But when he steps beyond X's and O's, it's – it takes away – we got to get past this idea that he is some Obi-Wan Kenobi that, that understands everything about stuff outside the game. He's an X's and O's guy and a good one at that. Everything else, please, somebody in his ear, tell him to leave it alone. I agree, World, and I, I got to say this. I think it's more of a gripe from Van Gundy who's – a and, you know, announcing these games and they do run late and, you know, do take a lot of prep work and post game work, as you can obviously tell us about Bruce. But um, the only one that maybe I could argue is the technical free throw. He said, you know, if we eliminated the technical free throw, if it's a technical, you get the point. Now, I wouldn't like that for record purposes of guys. Well, you know, he broke so-and-so's career high, but didn't have to shoot a technical free throw. So we'll never know if he you know, broke it or not. Like I don't, I would like to eliminate that, but that'd be the one part that like could be legitimate and maybe would obviously take its toll on the players of like the severity of, of a technical knowing it's an automatic point. It's not the guy has to go to the foul line and you might be bailed out and off the hook with a guy missing a technical free throw, but all that other garbage uh, with, with no free throws until four minutes left is wild. And, uh, Bruce, you mentioned the duration of NBA games and compared to NFL or baseball. Can we also compare ticket prices, especially talking more so baseball? I mean, NBA ticket prices are skyrocketing up the charts. So you now want to quicken games, and you're also not going to see NBA stars playing games because of load management. This would just add to the problems that we already have in today's game. No, I, I agree. So his other really stupid idea was um, eliminating halftime or vastly reducing it from 15 minutes to five minutes max, or he even said even two minutes. Well, okay. He, I think he basically said, yeah, give him enough time to go to the bathroom, okay? So maybe, you know, five minutes is enough. They'd need extra urinals in the locker room probably. But let's let the bathroom stuff go for now. Has Jeff ever watched a halftime show on ESPN or TNT or ABC? Maybe he hasn't because he's going to the bathroom at halftime. 
But I've worked on those shows. And I will tell you this much. In that 15 minutes of halftime, about nine minutes of them are commercials, okay? That's more than half of the available showtime being occupied by, you know, the stuff that makes money to pay Jeff Van Gundy's salary and to allow networks like ESPN and TNT to pay the league billions with a B in dollars of dollars in rights fee. There is a less than zero chance, zero percent chance that they're going to reduce halftime because those ads add up. Watch halftime. If you if you guys don't believe me, there's 15 minute, there's a 15 minute clock when you get to halftime. In that 15 minutes, take a pad of paper and watch how much of that time is commercials. I'm telling you, it's around 60 to 65 percent of that time. So Jeff. Um, you know, you're 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 in a little silo here and you need to kind of poke your little head up out of it and look around you. Otherwise, you might have to work for less money. And, and speaking of halftime, another thing is the halftime shows. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I used to attend NBA games, I enjoyed all the famous NBA acts. My favorite all time is Red Panda, who'd flip bowls on her head on a unicycle. I mean, Quick Change was another classic. I mean, these people are paying top dollar and they should be entertained, not to mention the basketball side of things where guys should be able to catch their breath. Got if you if you tweak an ankle in, in the first half, you should be able to get that retaped without having to miss game time. There's a lot of things that go into uh halftime. And I think it was just very uh short-sighted of Van Gundy uh and his maybe own personal coaching preferences of X's and O's of well, I don't need halftime, I already have all my plays. Like I don't think every coach – I would say most coaches wouldn't agree in electing to want to have a five-minute five halftime either. What do you think will be? Yeah, I'd like to see this idea get by the NBA Players Association <laughs> and see how that would work out, considering uh, they're already facing enough scrutiny for load management. Now I'm going to put the players' safety at risk because I don't give a chance to uh, their bodies to relax after a strenuous first half. And I have to be ready in, in five minutes to go back out there risking more injury because my body hasn't rested enough for 15 instead of 15 minutes down to five. It's a he knows it's never going to happen. Any but this is never going to happen. I can I by all accounts, he seems like a smart individual, so he has to know that you know, this these things are never going to happen. And because they're not going to happen, I can go and say these things and sound. Like, oh, I'll just throw an idea out there, knowing it's never going to happen, but I'll look like I, I'm a radical thing. You know, I have a radical thought in my head. No, it's bizarre, just like Bruce said. My final thought on this is, is this, and I'll keep it quick. I find Jeff to be extremely entertaining and analytical in his approach. He makes me a smarter basketball fan when he does what World B says, which is basically, you know, stick to the 94 by 50 foot office and keep your thoughts in there. He's actually very amusing when the game is not competitive because he's trading barbs with fellow analyst Mark Jackson while the great Mike Breen does his best to try and maintain order, and he does a really great job of that. But, you know, I'm sure it's a challenge. But if Jeff is really serious about these ideas, I hope he is never offered a spot on the NBA's competition committee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well said there. And uh not not the best of thoughts there by Van Gundy, but I am willing to bet we have better thoughts here for our final thoughts here tonight on the show. So, uh, World B, I'm going to go ahead and start with you tonight for a final thought. 
Well, thank you, Ross. When it comes to the off-season attention, we all know the NBA does not match up with the NFL, which has done an excellent job over the years of making its presence known each month of the season, the off-season, with things like the draft combine, the draft itself, the schedule announcement for the upcoming season, and all the insignificant off-season programs that they seem to treat like playoff matchups. But the NBA in recent years has been able to maneuver itself to become almost a 12-month-a-year sport in terms of coverage. Its offseason gets plenty of coverage in areas like the coaching carousel that we've discussed the last couple of weeks, free agency in addition. You add in their own draft combine and the draft itself and the growing popularity of the summer leagues, and the NBA has done a better-than-good job of, if not taking the headlines away from Major League Baseball during the summer, at least sharing in them. The NFL has long been a 12-month-a-year league in terms of its coverage, but the NBA is starting to not be too far behind. Well said there, World, and uh, couldn't agree more. I think the uh, entertainment around the association is getting better, and I think a lot of that credit goes to social media, and I think the NBA does a as good of job, if not better job, than the other major professional sports when it comes to Twitter, Instagram, highlights, things of that nature. Bruce, what do you got for us? Um, When new Sixers head coach Nick Nurse spoke to the media on Thursday, he was asked about free agent guard James Harden, and he said the following, quote, James has a decision to make, and I'd be very happy if he came back. On the surface, it sounds good, but I heard that somewhat tepid response and thought to myself, James is gone. Now, I could be totally wrong about that because Sixers GM Daryl Morey has always been a supporter of Harden, and it could be that James will re-sign in Philly if they back up the Brinks truck, but James opted out of his $35.6 million player option for next season, and it is not a secret that Harden has strong ties to the Houston area. Rockets owner, excuse me, Governor Toman Fertitta is a fan of Harden as well. According to sources, before Ime Udoka was hired as the Rockets' new coach, the candidates for the job were asked for their opinion on coaching Harden. If the Beard does return to Houston, where he won three scoring titles, things could work out great, or they could work out really awful. The Rockets are a young team with talented players in need of a veteran who can show them the way. But if the veteran is a ball-dominant scorer with very little winning in his past, it could backfire as he gets his numbers at the expense of the development of young talent like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. Whichever way this goes, Harden's next destination promises to be one of the most intriguing storylines of the offseason. Yeah, and I think that storyline comes down to whether or not James Harden wants to be the man again. Does he miss the stop the the spotlight? Does he want to have his own team, or is he comfortable taking a back seat now, knowing he's playing alongside an MVP? And does he care more about winning or putting up personal accolades? Because that's what it's going to come down to in this decision. And as for Houston fans, I mean, I don't know why. I know Paul George called him the king of Houston in a, a recent podcast, and. That might be true, but if you're trying to develop all these younger players, I don't think this is the right move, but I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. As for my final thought, the more thought that I gave to Damian Lillard being traded this summer, the more I like it for the Blazers' future. Now is the time to sell high, fully restart, and continue to rebuild a talented young core that compete with 
that can compete with the Thunder and Spurs of the West in the very near future. Hand the keys off to 23-year-old Anthony Simons, draft 19-year-old Scoot Henderson, if able, and provide 20-year-old Shaden Sharp time and touches as a starting wing. Let's face it, this team is going nowhere fast with the roster as is, with Dame attempting to keep them afloat in the Western Conference, with Jokic in this prime, Phoenix aggressively pushing with KD and Booker, the Clippers are aggressively pushing, LeBron and AD showing strong signs of life in this year's playoffs, and the list goes on. And to top it all off, I think Chauncey Billups is an excellent coach and motivator and would be the perfect one for the job to develop these young younger players. Dame time in Portland has ran out. Cash in at peak value while you can. And with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Have a great weekend, everybody.